0: Hi, and welcome to the Palliators Podcast. I'm your host, fellowship-trained hospice and palliative medicine physician, Dr. Tara Katine. This podcast is for healthcare professionals who want to become more comfortable and more confident in caring for their chronically ill and terminally ill patients. With the help of the physicians who trained with me, we hope to provide education and to promote palliative care one podcast at a time. We're so glad to have you here. Hi, everybody. Since our last podcast, we've graduated from our fellowship program. To commemorate it, this podcast will be a reflection of the very first presentation that we did together as fellows. It was about futility. Futility has been a popular topic lately and tends to be a common theme to be addressed in many fields of medicine, particularly in palliative care and in many end-of-life situations. The concept of futility can be traced as far back as 1700 B.C. to an Egyptian medical text that was the first medical text to be based on rational and scientific thinking, instead of being based on magic and supernatural thinking. Over a thousand years later, the father of modern medicine, Hippocrates, conceptualized a paradigm of futility where it's the doctor's duty to preserve life, and when that's no longer possible, it's our duty to ease pain and suffering. The concept of medical futility was largely ignored until the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, when several high-profile cases received mass media attention. Most notably, these cases included Karen Ann Quinlan, Nancy Cruzan, and Terry Schiavo. These cases allowed for defining brain death, developing ethics committees, developing advanced directives, allowing surrogate decision-making using substituted judgment for those without capacity, and the passage of the Patient Self-Determination Act. They also drew attention to clarify goals of care and attention to code status. When looking to find laws and policies related to futility, we found that there are only nine states that have futility laws. This is likely the reason that so many hospitals do not have futility policies. Those hospitals that do have them often include aspects of their state law. The states that have laws are Alaska, California, Delaware, Hawaii, Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, Texas, and Virginia. Some find that the word futility is too vague, and often the word is not clearly understood. Even people in health care have difficulty articulating just what futility means. Typically, we think of it as something that is unlikely to achieve a desired intent or something that will not be beneficial to the patient. There are a few definitions or types of futility. Let's talk about the top three. The first type is physiological futility, wherein a particular treatment in and of itself is not futile, But given a particular situation, there is no chance that it could be effective in achieving its intended goal. For example, if someone has an ESBL E. coli UTI, would you use a cephalosporin or trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole? Of course not, because it would have zero chance of treating the UTI effectively. But these antibiotics are not futile. They're only futile in certain contexts. The second type of futility is qualitative. This is based on a patient's values. A patient may find a particular intervention does not help him or her have the kind of life they want, even if it would help them live longer. For them, the burdens don't outweigh the benefits. The patient may not see the benefit of a particular recommended intervention. As an example of this, I want to share the case of a patient I saw in consult some time ago. He was a 91-year-old man who had end-stage heart disease with congestive heart failure and an ejection fraction of less than 10%. He presented with recurrent altered mental status and seizure-like activity lasting less than 30 seconds. He was found to be in TAC during these episodes. He was offered cardiac ablation as the definitive treatment of choice. He declined to have it. When I met with him, I learned that he was a widower living with his son and his son's family. And over the past year, he had become more dependent on others for all of his activities of daily living, and he rarely ever left his room. He had been losing his appetite and losing weight. His goals of care were not to lose any more independence. He was concerned that he was becoming rapidly too difficult to care for at home and thought he likely would end up in a nursing facility. He understood that he would never again be well, and he said that he thought all that procedure would do for him would be to let him see the age of 92 from a room in a nursing facility. He preferred to avoid the procedure altogether and spend the time he had left surrounded by his family. After reassuring the primary service that this was really what he wanted and that this was allowable, He was transferred to palliative care and was able to live comfortably until he died a few days later with his loved ones at his side. For him, having cardiac ablation would not help him live the life he wanted to live. The burdens outweighed the benefits. The third type of futility is quantitative, wherein there is a very low probability, along the lines of less than 1%, that a treatment will achieve its goal. We have found it's often difficult for some to come to this conclusion. There is something called the GOFAR calculator, though. GOFAR stands for Good Outcome Following Attempted Resuscitation. This calculator is intended for use for an in-hospital cardiac arrest. It helps to predict if CPR would provide survival to discharge with a good outcome. It uses certain indices or measures of a patient's health to help make this calculation. If the calculation is less than 1%, the chance of a good outcome following CPR would be unlikely or futile. We'll provide a link to the GoFar calculator in the show notes on our website, thepalliators.com. Again, I have a patient case to share. I saw a 67-year-old man with diabetes and hypertension. He also had obstructive sleep apnea, for which he had had a tracheostomy. Decades earlier, he had had a traumatic injury that required amputations of both upper extremities below the elbows and bilateral partial foot amputations. He was admitted with shortness of breath and leg pain. At admission, a palliative care consult was placed that said he had a poor quality of life yet still wanted to be a full code. When I met with him, I found that he considered his quality of life to be quite good. His intellectual function was well above average. He was fully independent, and he felt he lived a full and robust life. He provided financial stability for his family and was the primary caregiver for his wife. His GOFAR score was nowhere near the feudal range. It's easy to look at an acutely ill individual and assume that this is how they always look or function, especially if they appear to be severely disabled. Still, your assumptions can lead you down the wrong road. We need to be sure that when we're considering quality of life as a reason something may be futile, that we're not speaking from our own value judgments we should not assume we know the reasons for people wanting to continue what we would consider ineffective or futile treatments. I can remember a time during my residency when I was being kind of judgy about a patient being maintained alive for monetary reasons. Then I became a mother. I remember thinking that if it was financially important to my children for me to be maintained on life support so that they could get a check and pay the rent, I would want to do that for them. I certainly hope that would never be the case, but I would be willing to make that sacrifice for them if it contributed to their well-being. We should consider that our patients and their families' values may be different from ours. We all have different perspectives and biases that we take into every situation. We need to be sure to treat our patients the way they want to be treated not the way that we want to be treated. We should be aware of our biases and perspectives and that they may play into our interactions. Keeping that awareness can help us as we relate to our patients, especially when we're having difficult conversations, including those about futility. Even if someone seems to be very much like us, their experiences and their perspectives are still different from ours. There's a great short video on YouTube about this, and I'll include this link in the show notes. In discussing futility with our patients and families, we need to be careful to use clear language that is easily understood and be sure to avoid medical jargon. The word futility is not one that's typically used by patients and families. They don't often understand what futility means in relationship to their particular situation. In approaching a case where futility is an issue, we like to review the case first to be sure we know the facts. It's important to develop a rapport with the patient and those important to the care of the patient, including their loved ones. We must effectively communicate the severity of the illness and help them figure out what is most important given the reality of the situation. Knowing what's valuable to them We can communicate the treatment options and help them to know the limitations of what is available, and we can make recommendations as appropriate. Above all, we want to try to find a common ground and a way to work together. If we can't do that, we can get second opinions, try to transfer the care to another provider or facility that's willing to take over the care, get an institutional review through an ethics consultation, and lastly, it would be resolved through the court system. Although the AMA has recommended hospitals have a futility policy outlining a process of resolution, most hospitals don't have one. Catholic hospitals have been on the forefront of creating futility policies. The Catholic Health Association of the United States has made recommendations on how to create one for health care organizations. We'll put a link for that in the show notes. Policy should incorporate consideration of medical facts, patient values, socioeconomic considerations, and any opinions of the patient and the patient's family. They should also protect the provider's integrity so that they don't feel like they're doing something against their values, as that could lead to moral distress. Everything possible to continue the patient-doctor relationship should be included. There should be a review process with input from the Ethics Committee that allows physicians the benefit of a separate judgment. Since physicians are not legally, professionally, or ethically required to offer medically futile treatment, a defined policy can serve as a method to outline a clear process that honors both patient rights and clinician professionalism. The AMA has a multi-step approach to medical futility, And five organizations, the American Thoracic Society, the Association of Critical Care Nurses, the American College of Chest Physicians, the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine, and the Society of Critical Care Medicine, they collaborated in 2015 and published recommendations for handling treatments that may be considered futile. We'll put links to the AMA and this five-society collaborative in the show notes on our website. Even with futility policies, though, it can be a daunting task to face the prospect of discontinuing futile treatment in the setting of conflict. It can be emotionally exhausting as well. It's always helpful to have an effective approach to handling difficult situations, especially ones where there may be conflict over what is considered futile. We need to balance patient autonomy with medical paternalism to create a shared decision-making. I think that brings us to the end of this podcast, and it's time for our reflection. It's about futility policies and comes to us from Wendy Burt, the spokesperson for the Minnesota Hospital Association. She said, the policies are helpful roadmaps for families and caregivers struggling with decisions about end-of-life care. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did please give us a good rating and review on your podcast app. You can visit our website, thepalliators.com, that's T-H-E-P-A-L-L-I-A-T-O-R-S dot com to find our show notes. If you have suggestions or ideas for future podcasts, please send a message through the website. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We look forward to next time. Bye for now.